This is Alicia Free, a badass belly dancer, musician, and real food enthusiast, here to help you feel a little lighter. Each show will dive into music that makes us want to dance. We'll share secrets of looking smoking hot in costume and everyday life. We'll dote on delicious whole food that makes us glow. And I'll throw in a damn sexy dance move you can try at home. I am very excited to feature fellow belly dance podcaster Yana today. Oh, thank you for invitation. My pleasure to join you today too. <laughs> Yana, like almost with a Y on the front. Is that correct pronunciation? Yes, it's just Yana. It's simple. Beautiful. Podcasters unite, Yana. <laughs> podcasting. In addition to hosting the podcast Belly Dance Life and the online Yana Dance Club, Yana is an award-winning international performer and belly dance instructor. She was the first choreographer to use triple Isis wings. I need to look for that. <laughs> and she's a sought-after Persian-style dancer as well. That makes me miss dancing in the Persian dance troupe that I used to dance in in Ithaca. Oh. That was so much fun. Yana teaches Persian classical and Turkish. Turkish Rama style too. Yana also lectures and writes on historical connections between belly dance and ballet. Yana is originally from Ukraine and currently she's based between Canada and Ukraine. I follow Yana on Instagram because her photos are full of light and gorgeous. And you'll find her at Yana Dance, that's I-A-N-A underscore dance on Instagram and yanadance.com. I'm on her listserv because she keeps it really positive and practical. And when Yana sent out an email with books for entrepreneurial dancers that included books that have changed so many of our lives, like Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad, Poor Dad, don't hate on it if you haven't read it. Don't let the title turn you off. It's an amazing book. And Tony Robbins' Awaken the Giant Within. I just had to get her on a little lighter, especially in 2020 when so many of us are in scarcity mode. We can still grow our abundance mindsets and help more and more people dance and feel good, starting with ourselves. Wow, thank you for such a fabulous introduction. <laughs> I feel so special. <laughs> That's how you make people feel all the time when they're guests on your show, you know. Oh. <laughs> Yana's show is great, everybody, too. If you haven't checked out Belly Dance Life, definitely check it out, the podcast. Danceable Ritual. Yana, do you have a danceable ritual you would like to share? I actually start with a simple dance technique routines right in the morning. So, for instance, if I know that I want to work on my belly rolls, let's say, first thing I do, wake up, go to washroom, and right in the washer while still sleepy <laughs> for five minutes, let's say, or three or two minutes, you start with two, and then you try to increase to like three, four, five minutes. I just work on belly muscles and diaphragm, etc. And then maybe in half a year, I just realize, oh, now I kind of feel like I need to fix my shimmy. So I will still use the same ritual in the morning, four, five minutes that I will switch and start working on shimmy. So this ritual, it just gives this push for the day. So I start with something that pushes me to develop my dance skills, but at the same time, it's right in the morning. Because typically what happens if we say, I'll do it after I finish this task, or I just ate, I can't do it, I'll wait half an hour. And then we postpone, postpone, and very often don't do those things. Not one hour of training, but thinking in chunks, just three minutes. But I'll do it right in the morning as one of the first tasks all the day really helps to keep it on track. <laughs> 
before I go out of the washroom, I do this task. I don't leave the space until this mini drill is done. <laughs> do you set a timer for yourself on your phone or you just know that you've done it for two or three or four minutes? For me, it depends on what I work into. Like, for instance, for a long time, I was working on diaphragm and belly muscles. It was more like a sequence of 10, like the upper belly 10 times, the lower belly 10 times uh, together, diaphragm, uh, switch up and down, then belly roll. So it's a little sequence that I was doing for a long time then after a while I felt like okay I will just switch the task to working on shimmies so for shimmies it's easier for me to keep a timer like one minute one side one hip works another minute another hip works another minute both of them work together of course it's better to keep the same drill for a couple of months at least to really see any results because if you start jumping one day on one thing working another day like right now work on something else it will not have any any actual results in your dance skills. Very cool. And you're using the bathroom mirror while you're drilling, correct? If I need to, but not all movements require mirror to have. It's more about using the space rather than necessarily having a mirror there. Okay, cool. So the first thing of the day when you go into the bathroom, before you leave the bathroom, you've decided what you're going to work on. And we work on this for a sequence of months. And you work on it not for an hour, but just between two and five minutes. And you can't leave the bathroom until you've worked on this different movement that you're mastering. You set a timer if you're doing shimmies, for example, certain moves are easier to use a timer with for one minute, one minute, one minute, and you do one hip, the other hip, you break it down, you decide what you want to work on what you want to get out of it. And you do it consistently for a couple months and you don't leave the bathroom until you've done it. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> you can't really dedicate one hour of full practice to the dance right in the morning, but four minutes, all of us have. Mm -hmm. Sleep four minutes less. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Spend four minutes less on Facebook. That's a great ritual. Thank you so much for sharing that. You're welcome. <laughs> if you have a danceable ritual you want to share, please visit aliciafree.com. That's A-L-I-C-I-A free, F-R-E-E, -E, and click on the Facebook icon and post your ritual. We want to see who you are and what makes you want to dance. And if you tried one of these danceable rituals, tell us how it went. Go to aliciafree.com, click on that Facebook icon and post. Now it's time for some music. Danceable song. Is there a danceable song you'd like to share? I more and more start looking into even Bollywood and Indian songs that mm. are not directly related to ballet dance, but they just get me the upbeat mood that I just can't stop but actually moving. And I think that's another interesting trick for someone who may start losing a little bit enthusiasm or inspiration because we all get those down moments from time to time. One song that I wanted to share with you, a song from Afghanistan called Yaka Dampesh by singer Javid Sharif, I hope I pronounced the name correctly. It's an Afghanistan song and it's super upbeat, super engaging. Just for me to groove and to dance, uh, belly dance movements goes very cool on it. <laughs> the name of song, it's a three words. It's Y-A-K. The second word is Q-A-D-A-M. And the last word is P-E-S-H. Yakadampesh. They sing this phrase in the song. I'll be very honest, I don't know 
what they're thinking about. But for <laughs> me, it's all about the mood. <laughs> There's another Afghani artist that I really love that's from the 70s, Ahmed Zakir. He sings Leili John and he's like the Elvis of Afghanistan, <laughs> Ahmed Zakir. He's got like a trumpet and it almost sounds like a sitar, but it's the guitar and an accordion. Like he fused all these Western instruments with Eastern instruments. It's gorgeous stuff. So yeah, lots of great Afghani music out there too. It doesn't have to be belly dance music. It doesn't have to be Arabic. You don't have to figure out a costume and try to put it on stage somehow. You can just have fun with it. Yana, your website, yanadance.com, is one of the best sites I have ever seen for a belly dancer. Amazing photos and layout, easy to navigate, helpful. Do you have tips or best practices to share with other dancers? It took me quite a while to really bring my website to the style it is right now. So it had a, quite a few iterations. But thank you so much for acknowledging that. I think that one of the main mistakes uh, for dancers when they are trying to create their websites is thinking that the website is about them. And forgetting that the website has a very specific goal. So the website is not a description of your life or dance life or dance activities. It's not your biography. It doesn't need to tell everything about you. Website has a specific goal. And sometimes you may have to acknowledge that you need to have two different websites. A website is created with a certain goal and for certain clients or for a certain audience before or teaching classes audience will be our clients and the website needs to be as easy and clean for them as possible the website it's not a description of all the activities the website needs to serve a certain goal and you need to put their information only that serves that goal and makes it clear for your client for your customer for your audience to navigate your website so it doesn't confuse them it's not like oh my god how many things she's doing it's more like okay if for instance you're creating the website with a goal to attract clients to hire you for performances of course you can acknowledge that you also have a costume design or you offer some other services too but you still need to keep the website very clear and you need to put yourself on a position of a client once they get on your website how they see the information where is the flow where these things can get confusing if they read let's say or see this information do they require anything additional do they have any possible questions that you can write away on the website too or is it so confusing and so much information that it just frustrates them and they just close the tab and go somewhere else because too much information actually backfires making sure the website is clean it's without too much extra unnecessary things there it's one of the main focuses and making sure that it's structured very again clearly I like this word, obviously, in terms of the website, clean and clear. So it's all structured conveniently for the user of this website. Because me, as a host, I'm not a user of my website. And the users are people who get to my website. And most of us, our activities often change. And the project that we are working on adds up and they evolve. Something new can come up. So typically, then with certain time, I start adding this little here. 
here, this little there, and it kind of gets messy again. So from time to time, you just need to look with it as from start and sometimes redo things from scratch. But again, thinking how can I make it easier for person who visit website to navigate it? Because again, website is not about you. Website is just a tool to convey certain message to people who don't know you and who have their introduction about you from this web page. Great. I think for a lot of belly dancers, they've kind of transitioned from using a business card to a website. I put way too much on my website (laughs) thinking, oh, this is going to help with SEO. People are going to find it because they're going to Google this and I will have the sentence in here, you know, those kinds of things. But like you're saying, once you get people to your site, a confused mind doesn't buy, right? A confused mind doesn't act. Mm -hmm. They don't know where to go and they're just going to go somewhere else. You got to make it really easy for people and have the path set up for where you want to take them. Yeah, like there is no problem with a lot of information. Like I have, for instance, a lot of information on my website too, but it's more about how you organize and what kind of information you're putting on. Because sometimes website, you go on the home page and it's so filled with so much stuff, so much text, photos, little descriptions to this photo or some paragraph about this and forum and everything is sort of on the home page that you don't even have any space for your eye to rest in between. And when it's too much, you see nothing. Right. That's the same way with dance. When you try to do a whole bunch of moves at once, (laughs) you can't see anything. Exactly. Yeah. Do you work in design as well on the side? No. (laughs) Okay. Because you just have such an eye for design. I love the images you create and what you put out. I just think it's really beautiful. Uh, Thank you. My husband is a professional photographer, so he has definitely an eye for good designs. (laughs) Oh, wonderful. So photography-wise, it's all his work. (laughs) Oh, it's great. Yeah, the way you guys use light. When I put on dance shows, when I'm trying to figure out the lighting, I'm not very good at that. But the lighting in your photographs and in your videos, it's great. So that's a wonderful thing to master with all of us doing more online now. It's worth putting some time into. Yeah, definitely. I agree. And all the needs that we experience as dancers, usually it's not that difficult these days to navigate and to educate yourself. But it's usually sounds or looks scarier than it is in real life. Mm -hmm. So many of us dancers think we can't make good money from teaching and performing. It's scarcity mindset. There aren't enough gigs, customers, students, venues, bands, etc. And I feel that way about our band, that we don't have enough opportunities to charge a lot at the door or charge anything at the door sometimes, you know. So when you recently shared links to Rich Dad Poor Dad, Tony Robbins and other abundance mindset and business resources, I was thrilled. Tell us what books and or teachers have helped you see the belly dance business as an opportunity rather than a struggle. Many dancers think about belly dance as an art. I just remember how many times I said and how many times I heard like, oh, no, I'm an artist. I'm not a salesperson. I don't want to do promotion. I don't want to do business. I mean, I just will do good art and think somehow magically it will happen. (laughs) But the reality is that once you put yourself in a situation that you want to live from dance and from belly dance, You have to start treating it as a business. You cannot just wait and sit in your dance studio, work on your dance and wait to be discovered and that someone will come and give you a bunch of money for just for the sake of you doing the art in your dance studio. I don't remember. For me, it was not any specific book or moment that I start treating dance as a business. Like I took a decision that I cannot postpone anymore. I just want to be a full-time dancer. I want to live from that and I need to navigate it somehow. And then I... 
I literally threw myself into a bunch of educational resources and programs, not about dance, but more about business skills, like marketing, promotion. And luckily today we have so many opportunities to get this education or a lot of stuff for free and a very accessible and human language <laughs> that is not scary. One thing that I definitely will encourage anyone who wants to try to dig into business education for artists is listening to podcasts. There are so many business podcasts on so many different niches and aspects of business and business online, business offline, art business. They're available for free. You just listen to some people discussing topics. The books that I now recommend, the ones you mentioned, for instance, I've got encouraged and inspired to read them from listening to podcasts. So then someone on the podcast say, oh, you know, that book literally changed my life. And I was like, okay, which book? Go and read. And then some of the books, they will really impact your life too. But for me, to start getting into the mindset of belly dance as a business and then moreover belly dance as abundant business, it was more from listening to the podcast. And one that I can recommend to start for some people, it may be the door to this world and listening to different guests. You may discover that some of the guests also have their own podcast. So it kind of rolls naturally how you expand your education. But one of the podcasts that I liked is called Don't Keep Your Day Job, which I think tells on its own the name. It's by Kathy Heller. And again, it's a free resource. And I think it's told in a way of story and stories of many different people. So it's not only about dancers. It's about anyone who had some idea, who had some inspiration, who had some passion and how they transformed their passion into work and job. And this is a great example that absolutely anything can bring you abundance in life and specifically in finances too. Literally, absolutely any idea can be transformed and there is space for everyone. So one of the ways to develop this abundance mindset is listening to other people and how they managed to put their dreams into life. And any field, not only dance field, is competitive, but in every field there is always space for everyone and for any idea. If you put work into action and if you don't let your own worries and your own scarcity <laughs> barriers actually stop you from taking action. Wonderful. One of the podcasts that I've loved listening to is called Eventual Millionaire. And she has a lot of entrepreneurs on the show and a lot of women that just busted through. You could just see their patterns. And once you see patterns that help people succeed, you're able to choose them for yourself, right? So I haven't heard of this podcast, Don't Keep Your Day Job. It looks great. It's such a memorable title. It's so simple, like what you're saying. It's very clear. This is how I'm helping you. Boom. Don't keep your day job. Yeah. And it's not about specifically this podcast or in general. Like it's not not like I'll leave your job and just take an action and everything will be easy and fun. <laughs> no, of course you still need to do the job and you need to be realistic about your specific situation because some people may dream about being a full-time performer, let's say, but physically there is not enough demand. So even if you are the only one belly dancing, you get all the gigs, it's still not enough to support you as full-time job. But this is something that you need also to discover and understand. And in this case, it's just means that you need to be a little bit more creative and maybe add something to your belly dance performances, something extra. Abundance, it's not waiting for opportunities, it's creating your own opportunities. So it's not like we share and we need to split existing number of spots under the sun. It's more about creating your unique 
unique opportunities that cannot be taken away from you because you created them and they are based on you and they are for you there. Beautiful. Are you familiar with Blue Ocean? No. What's that? Blue Ocean Strategy. I have to look up to see exactly where it came from. I read it a while back. But it talks about Cirque du Soleil, for example. When the circus, they thought they had to have three rings and they had to have some big name and they had to have animals, which is crazy. That's not what a circus needs to have. It needs to be entertaining, Mm -hmm. right? So Cirque du Soleil, they just took those expensive parts of circus out and created something totally new. Instead of competing with Barnum & Bailey Circus, Cirque du Soleil is the classic example of just seeing the opportunity. You don't have to just keep competing. You can create something new. You can solve a new problem. You can solve it in a new way. When we're belly dancers and you're in a competition mindset or I'm going to get this restaurant gig and not that person, it's not fun, right? But what you're saying is put something else into your performance. Do something else that provides a service for people that they're going to want. Create your own opportunity. It's the opposite of a victim mentality. And I just really appreciate that. Yeah, and there is nothing wrong with competition. I actually think it's great because it pushes us to develop and improve our own services. And if everyone is pushed to get better, to get a job, in general, the level goes up. The only problem that happens is that we treat competition in unhealthy ways. So for instance, I treat other dancers as my competitors in the same field and that is great but I don't treat them as enemies we can compete but we can at the same time support each other how many times I referred my gigs to someone else and how many times other dancers referred their gigs to me and we all have the situations that we cannot take some job but then if we put ourselves in the position as an enemy towards other dancers our colleagues in this field okay the gig is lost but if we support each other then the gig stays in the a professional violence community which is also great so it's more about how you're treating competition are you treating just as a competitors or you're treating people as enemies right and so you're nurturing that desire for people to have belly dance in their events by saying you know what i can't do this date but these other three people would do a fabulous job yeah and also what is your relationship with other people who work there because it all starts with us want to get that gig in the restaurant okay great but what are the tools and ways that you want to get it are you trying to put down another dancer if you want to be respected by the community and also supported and being part of the community treat other people also as a part of this community because other people also work hard to get that gig and as long as it builds on a healthy competitive standards that we are competing but we are competing based on improving our skills improving our services the moment that you start thinking oh another person took my place you're limiting yourself and you're basically closing your eyes to so many other opportunities around you that might have been even way better than that lost opportunity. But just because you didn't notice them, you are only harming yourself with this attitude. We are not splitting the small pie between ourselves. Yep. Beautiful. Oh, such a nice, mature way to think about belly dance. I interviewed Suhaila Salampur, and she was talking about walking off stage in Egypt, and all of her costumes were slashed in the dressing room. Yeah, we're destroyed by another dancer. That kind of thinking doesn't help the arts, doesn't help create more opportunity for any of us. So when we do feel like somebody else took something from us, or we should have been asked to do something that somebody else was, really look at that, and where's it coming from? And what's going to actually give us more opportunity? What's that look like? Tell us about your online classes and your dance club. Oh, thank you for asking. (laughs) Yeah, that's quite an exciting topic for me now. 
I started doing the online courses a couple years ago and I have a couple of themed courses on the specific topics but about half a year ago everything started actually with my decision to do a Patreon account so I was sharing some videos once in a week or just as a regular Patreon platform but after a while I started thinking more and more about how can I add a social element into online space because a lot of online classes is either live or pre-recorded videos that person gets and they kind of left on their own okay maybe in the case of live stream class it's slightly different but if you're talking about online courses or classes that are pre-recorded basically that's what happens person gets videos okay maybe she can send question to the instructor or leave a comment on the video but that's it and the more I was thinking about how can I bring social exploration of Valadance into this online platform while keeping it pre-recorded so people can still do it on their own time which for me it's one of the greatest benefits also of online education that you don't need to be restricted to this specific time we are all in different time zones we all have different schedules one of the biggest advantages for me was keeping it available at any time but at the same time how can we feel <laughs> that we are not on our own that we are dancing and learning as a group of people and the more I was thinking about that the more I kind of felt like hey the Patreon format I just cannot do what I wanted to do and then it evolved into a separate website and separate platform Yana Dance Club the main feature of this platform from the practice point of view is that every week you get a 20 minute technique drill and I limit it to 20 minutes so it's digestible and it can fit in any schedule because 20 minutes it's not too short but it's not too long some dancers use it as their daily workout so it starts with a basic warm-up and then each technique video has a specific topic that it focuses on different elements of the technique so some dancers use it as a daily 20 minute ballet dance workout some dancers use it as a beginning of their training sessions and quite a few people actually message me that they are really not in mood or they are kind of feel overwhelmed with other tasks and they start okay I'll just do 20 minutes of technique drill they start with it and then they end up practicing for two hours because they got into the mood they got into the groove and then oh but there is this <laughs> choreography or like this something I need to work and then it transforms into a more complete session and basically for me it was why I decided to do it in a format of technique drills and even for Patreon why I started sharing that format there is because I felt sometimes a little bit lost whenever I start practicing like okay there is so much material that would be useful for me to practice and drill on a regular basis and from other teachers that I heard so many cool exercises but it was always confusing in the beginning of training session you kind of need to decide what to do for how long to do it in which sequence so I at some point did for myself I just recorded a sequence of exercises that I knew were useful for me at that point and I just recorded it once and then I was playing the same video for myself to start my practice so I was taking off the decision making task in the beginning of session which often turns us off <laughs> to continue or even start the practice so I was taking that decision challenge off my shoulders so I was always starting with this recorded video which helped me to get in the groove but then this time I was getting like more ideas for different exercises I was changing I get a couple video drills for myself and then I decided to start sharing it with other dancers which first was via Patreon page now it's via Yana 
this club. So that's the kind of main thing. Of course, we have different levels. And also, the Yana Dance Club, I was able to include a social element. Because every week, I also record additional message to the participants. And this is not dance. It's more like inspiration or motivation or addressing some things that are going on in dance environment now. Or sometimes we go for a specific, like this month, we have our mini intensive, like literally last month, we were doing three-week intensive on hips shimmy. So I was sharing three technique drills specific for the subject. I was sharing some other tips, how they can incorporate some daily rituals <laughs> to improve their hips shimmies. And also I was given some other suggestions from previous technique drills that can also address your training. So basically I was able to combine in Yanadan's club the element of training, but also the social element because people share their own videos, they comment on each other comments and stories and also videos. So many people often comment, oh my god, other people practicing the same drills in the real time and sharing their struggles. It actually inspires me to get up and dance and practice myself. So Yanadan's club is an opportunity for people. Some people, they just want to have access to videos and practice completely on their own time and schedule and that's possible there. But some people also need this element of social like, support and feeling that they move on on their dance journey as a group, which Yana Dance Club provides too. And on top of that, we also have different levels there. So there is some level of some plans that are just about technique drills and the social elements. There is some plan that also gives you opportunity to learn the choreographies with me. And there is one plan that even gives you opportunity to work one-on-one -on -one with me. So I give individual feedback for participants' videos. So they can record whatever they're working on. Is it choreography? It doesn't matter mine or someone else. Is it performance or practice? Something that they are working on want to hear feedback from me. They record video, they send me the video, and then I give them back very detailed feedback, which depends on the needs of person. It can be more about choreography itself, it can be about technique, it can be some exercises that I feel will be good for them. So it's basically a combination of online learning with social element that we are often missing compared to a regular local classes and studios. But at the same time, you can easily fit it in whatever is going on in your life. <laughs> That's great. So she's made it really easy for us to have a structured experience where we can support each other and have a community online if we'd like. And Yana Dance Club, it has a seven-day free trial. So you could just test it out. You don't have to worry about it. And then it looks like it's memberships at only $8 per month is where it starts. So you could just start there, which is what, two coffees? Yeah. <laughs> it's really great. It looks like it's set up really in an easy way to access. And I love that you're doing this. Oh, thank you so much. Yes, I've made it super accessible. So it starts from $8. I think it depends on which kind of, for instance, Starbucks coffee or latte. It may be even cheaper than two. And uh -huh. then even the most expensive one, which I call VIP, where you get technique drills, choreographs, and individual feedback from me, it's only $29 per month. So compared to private class, for many teachers, it still will be more expensive than what is the membership plan at Yana Dance Club. And you still get a lot of things including some additional courses that I just put there while you're a member of the club, you have access to additional courses of mine too. Well, I know that takes a lot of time to put that all together in a way that's easy for people to navigate. So well done. Everybody check that out, yanadance.com and check out the Yana Dance Club. Oh, thank you. Damn sexy dance move.
Yana, what is a damn sexy dance move that you would like to share? For me personally, there is no move that can be sexy without expression and emotion that you convey. So movement on its own doesn't mean anything. For me, the sexiest move that I feel and consider in ballet dance is actually shoulder roll. But not just a shoulder roll like a mechanic or acrobatic move. It's more about, again, intention in your face because shoulders, they are so close to your face. That's why I feel that it's the most sexy move in the dance. If you add this juicy, slow motion shoulder roll with a emotion that you're conveying through your face and maybe even add some frame with your arms but even the shoulder move on its own to me the images that come on in my mind whenever i think about this movement there are two one is dance related one is not dance related not dance related is marilyn monroe image she has this not even shoulder rolls necessarily but it's more about the intention that you have in your upper body in your shoulders and in your face and dance related specific about shoulder rolls if you search any golden era old clips like uh, look at Samia Gamalin. Yes, she does a lot of arm movements, but she also has this tiny little but very juicy like shoulder rolls. So again, there's this juicy engagement through your back and that it's not about movement. It's more about emotion that you're conveying and the fact that it's close to your face. I think that that's the most sexy move in terms of the most powerful conveying the mood. <laughs> yeah, I never thought about that. Your shoulders being the closest part of you that's connected connected to your face. So when someone's looking at your eyes, they can also see your juicy shoulders. You won't be able just to think about shoulder movement. It still will be about face and emotion. So you are a big proponent for learning folk dances. What are your favorite folk dance forms and why? I always tell that my favorite dance style is the new one. <laughs> and that applies to folklore ones too. Currently, the dance style that I'm really dying to learn more is dances from Uzbekistan. And they have so many different original dance forms that are very different also from belly dance, obviously. It's kind of the part of the Silk Road culture. So they may not have that much direct connection with belly dance, but for me, the mood and the energy of the dance it's just so much in common with folklore dances of other regions and at the same time very unique and different i started a little bit digging into that direction but one of my dreams so far is actually to go to uzbekistan for a couple of months non-stop and just to dive into this dance culture because right now it needs me a lot <laughs> beautiful i'm just pulling up some images right now and it looks similar to the costume styles for armenian dance the costume styles can have some similarities with Armenian, it can have even with Persian at some points and some dance styles because Uzbekistani dances are also different from region to region, but the dance movements, the dance vocabulary, it's really very unique to me. Of course, there will be some similarities, especially on the borders and in certain dance styles, but there are some dance styles that I was amazed at, oh my god, this actually <laughs> exists, like the certain movements, and there is one dance style that came from the legend of wife of a king to collect cherries from the tree, and then she fell down and broke her legs and her arms, but on that day, the guests came to the palace, as she was considered to be a very good dancer, her husband forced her to still dance, she 
had to dance with sort of bent limbs and all her movements were very shaky and very like unnatural but the dance style that evolved from there that legend I mean obviously probably was some other reason why the dance style evolved but it just gives really interesting mood and the dance style it's absolutely amazing I will just send you some links for you to include in the show notes because once I saw it I just fell in love with dance itself and it is already almost a year on my mind I just want to go and learn it even more beautiful (laughs) yeah I'll definitely include those links in the show notes and it looks like there's a lot of dancing with frame drums I'm just looking at photographs yes and they have a very special drum and very special way of playing the drum it's very difficult to describe but it's just something that (laughs) you need to hear once and I'm pretty sure that most of the listeners once they see and hear it they will fall in love too (laughs) just as I did it's an amazing world and again all of these folk dances it doesn't have to teach us about belly dance moves but teaches us about the energy of the performer and the diversity of a performer's thinking too like you're telling this story with a person forced to dance with broken limbs like that is wild Of course, that's just a pretty legend I was told about. I don't exactly know like there the dance originated. Again, I just scratched the surface of learning more about Uzbek dance culture. So <laughs> again, not an expert exactly. But I think one of the benefits why to learn a folklore dances and as many as possible, because folklore for us, ballet dances teaches us not only vocabulary, and then some vocabulary may be related closer to ballet dance, some maybe not. But first of all, it teaches us character and it teaches us acting skills because each folklore style it has its mood like for instance the story that i just talked about dancing with a broken limbs it has a certain mood so it gets the mood into your body and how you position your arms and legs but it also gets the mood that it's still playful like yeah i have uh, broken limbs let's say but i still playful and i still dance wow so it just teaches the character and each folklore style they will have their own character some will be flirtatious some will be more moody some will be more the energy out to the audience and interaction with the audience or people around because in folklore there is no real audience it's just people around with whom you interact some folklore styles will be more inward and all that stuff it forces you to be an actor because you're just one person and you have your own personality but if you want to perform folklore style nicely you need to get into the character of this folklore dance folklore mood and that teaches us and develops acting skills that directly apply to a ballet dance performance too that definitely help with our facial expressions and engaging the audience and feeling mm-hmm. really different when you dance trying different things on in terms of emotion and moves it's great I'll put a link to a video of this move in the show notes, and I keep adding helpful free dance videos on YouTube and Instagram and Facebook. Subscribe and the moves will keep coming. Now let's take a moment to dote on delicious whole food that makes us dancers glow. Featured light in my body food. What is one vegan whole food ingredient that you love? One of the desserts that I discovered a couple of years ago, we were traveling to Brazil and we went to one of the farmer's markets and one of the sellers there, they were of course trying to sell us a bunch of things, but they offered to try a combination of 
of strawberry together with a black date. So you know those dates that are not super dry? They're a little bit more, I think they're called black dates. Sometimes I saw Iranian dates, but I think it's not only from Iran, but they're a little bit more like moisture and they have a little texture, like very, very thick gem. So that date together with a slice of strawberry, it's better than any chocolate candy. <laughs> non-vegan lovers that sounds good a black date so is that a fresh date or a dried one I'm a little bit confused on the subject because I saw them in groceries. They typically sold in box and they kind of look to me as dried, but sometimes on the box it's actually called fresh dates. So I'm not really sure. I know they're called black dates usually. They're very different color than fresh dates, but maybe there are different kinds of dates too. <laughs> But what I know, they're called black dates because there are some dates that are really dry, obviously like dried, and that's not the ones I'm talking about. So maybe they're called fresh dates, but they're not white. They're still dark. <laughs> cool. So black dates with a slice of strawberry, even just the colors sound lovely. Beautiful. All right. That's something fun to look for. Let's play dress up. Make you shine costume tip. Do as many hooks and Velcro strips as many as possible. <laughs> you want your costume to be as secure as possible. That's true. And I'm talking about this from performer's perspective too. And doesn't matter are you performing at gigs or performing once per year at Hafla or a couple times per month at a dance competition. And doesn't matter what kind of costume you have, but you want to make it as secure and as safe as possible. I actually always do for my costumes. I have hooks. I have Velcro and sometimes I even put those clipping buttons to each other on the bra and as well as velcro I sometimes put on the skirt belt depends on the design of costume and another part of literally my underwear so then I was an active performer I had a collection of underwear with this part of velcro strips that were just mm. for performances <laughs> so I can literally just glue easily my skirt to fix it on one spot to underwear to prevent from going around me and feeling more like secure and comfortable <laughs> to move as freely as I want. <laughs> right, especially if you have high slits in your skirts. Mm -hmm. You don't really want the slit to land right in the front middle of your <laughs> Okay, great. So Velcro on your undies. I love it. And as much hooks and Velcro as possible. If you have a costume tip to share, please send it my way via Facebook or an email through my site. Your technique and connection to music is exceptional. What do you think has helped you the most on your journey to becoming the award-winning performer that you are now? I think that being an award-winning performer is not the most important thing in your dance journey. <laughs> and I think it's one of the things that can actually help you possibly to get there. But I think it's more about always looking for the progress and for the next step. And if you're talking specifically about competitions, use them as a competition and not to determine if you're a good dancer or not, or if you should be dancing or not, or not putting too much emphasis on the competition results but rather use a competition as a step or way to improve
proof because that's a great opportunity you have the whole panel of judges who literally there to sit and watch you and to find the mistakes which basically means opportunities to improve your dancing there and using each competition as a way to basically give a diagnosis of your dance but understanding that it's not about dance it's about that specific performance and about opinion of those specific people on that specific evening but at the same time using competition as a resource to always grow and then eventually if you decide to keep going on that path and treat it like healthy and encouraging and inspiring wanting or not at some point you will reach the point that you will become a award-winning dancer but at the same time i don't think that that title or that description award-winning or like winner of one or two or hundred of competitions that's not something that needs to determine our dance journey and our dance passion in general but at the same time it can be a great motivation to improve and grow right yeah just by competing you became the award-winning dancer that you are as part of it right just because you were getting feedback all the time that's one part if you're also asking for feedback ah. why i started with like not putting competition results as the main focus because many people if they won or if they let's say lost or like placed whatever like number in a row among those competitors that's it that's on that note the competition ends for them and many people don't even bother to analyze or go to ask opinion of judges what could have been better and if that's the case then it will be always on the same spot because basically you will not take advantage of growing even more faster and in the direction that maybe you don't even recognize right now that it needs some improvement. So again, treating competition as a resource, as a tool for you to grow and not doing competition for the sake of competition itself. Great. As Will Durant said, we are what we repeatedly do. So let us repeatedly do what the divinely lovely do. Feel good. Look good habit. Do you have a feel good, look good habit that you want to share? For me, usually it's just dressing up and putting some makeup and putting my hair to <laughs> decent look because usually what happens, or at least in my experience of being a full-time performer, like we are sparkling gorgeous on stage in a dance costume and under lights, but then in regular life, you kind of want just to keep your pajama on all the time and not even brush your hair often. So sometimes when I feel down, it's just a matter of, okay, I'll pull myself up, choose a nice clothes that really inspires me it doesn't matter even if I sit just at home on the day put some light makeup put your hair to the decent interest in hairstyle and for me typically it already lifts the mood up and makes me feel better so this is being recorded during quarantine 2020 in April mm. and this is really great advice for now too if you're not feeling good just do a little something to make yourself feel like you look good do your hair put your earrings on put a little makeup on shave your legs whatever it is for you that makes you feel like you look good just go ahead and take five minutes and do it yeah and what i like repeating now especially during quarantine how often before quarantine we're always saying like oh i don't do makeup for other people i do it for myself and justifying like all the crazy experiments that we do and always saying oh i dress up for myself well right now it's exactly the time to prove <laughs> To walk your talk if you're actually doing it for yourself. <laughs> right, right. Wonderful. So I have a three-year-old. If I actually look at my hair before I leave the house, that's a good thing, you know? 
<laughs> I shouldn't blame him, but it's like, it's all about getting out the door or like laying down and taking a nap or, you know, just doing something crazy where I'm going to look <laughs> like a mess anyway. But it definitely feels good when I put just this five minutes and sometimes I have to fight for it. You know, sometimes I'm like, this is my five minutes. I don't get five minutes alone in the bathroom. I don't get any minutes alone in the bathroom all day long. <laughs> so if I could get five minutes to just do my hair, it definitely makes a difference. <laughs> And tell us about something exciting that you have coming up. I am excited to start working on a business course for ballet dancers. So for the last three years of me living in Toronto, I was basically a full-time performer. And I decided now to put all my knowledge about gigs, starting from how to get your first gig to how to get ready for the gig or how to communicate with client and transform one customer into a long-time client. Like all the experience that I got from my more than three-year work, but last three years it was just doing that. All that put into a business course for ballet dancers so this is something exciting coming up this summer for sure wonderful i do think that belly dancing improves our posture and the way that we carry ourselves as people in any business so i love that you're thinking specifically about how to help belly dancers improve their business too i think that we have some other transferable skills from performing and from dancing that apply to other businesses as well so that's really great Oh, that's for sure. <laughs> Thanks. Yana, it has been so great to have you on my podcast. I listen to your podcast and have so much fun listening to how you interview others. And I loved just having the chance to spotlight you and talk about what you have to offer and all the amazing work that you're doing. So thank you so much for sharing yourself with all of us and for dancing so much. It's a bit of pleasure to watch you and to talk to you. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. It's such a pleasure. And it's unusual situation for me <laughs> to be from opposite side of the mind. <laughs> so thank you for your interest in my work good luck with your project your podcast is so fun and easy and it's interesting how you have little categories <laughs> for your questions and basically compiling the great resources for dancers to include like songs or recipes <laughs> and dance moves that's so great thank you so much yada i hope you've enjoyed the show please subscribe and let your friends know what you got out of this show Dance with me on YouTube, listen to the music I've selected for you on Spotify, and try some free vegan recipes on AliciaFree.com. This is Alicia Free, hoping this show helped you feel a little lighter.